Thank you. You may be seated. Texas Baptist family. My name is David Miranda, and I want to thank you so much for your prayers and support for the Mary Hill Davis offering. Thanks to your contribution, we're able to create programs such as Devoted, which are meant to gather young adults from across the state and to bring them into Texas Baptist life. Once in community, they're able to strengthen one another and support each other in their calling. We've also been able to partner with the WMU to create a program called Embrace, which is a young adult women mentorship program. This program is meant to strengthen young women who are interested in being part of ministry and to resource them and equip them to mission projects and other ministry opportunities. So once again, thank you so much for your support for the Mary Hill Davis offering. We can't do this alone, and in fact, we're better together. So let's go share Christ and show his love. Amen, and good morning. Isn't it true that we are better together? It's wonderful to join together on a morning like this and to worship in the name of the Lord. And so it is good to see all of your smiling faces. We had just a little reminder there um, via video of the Mary Hill Davis mission offering for state missions and the work that it it does. And just to remind you uh, that our goal as a church is $2,000. And if you picked up a prayer guide last week and worked through it, um, I'm sure you were blessed. If you forgot or you still want to, it's not too late. You can just extend the week of prayer to this week and continue to pray for God's work through um, our state offering all around the state of Texas. It's such a joy to be able to worship together. So I want to take a moment just to welcome you. If you're, you're visiting this morning, if you're with family or you're with a friend, we're glad to see you. If you're a, a, a regular guest or regular member, welcome back. We pray that you would enjoy the service um, as we read from God's Word, as we sing together, as we study God's Word together, and most importantly, we trust that God will work and move in our hearts to transform us and to make us more into the image of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just remind you of a couple of things, and then Michelle's going to share about their upcoming trip to um, Tanzania in Africa. The first thing um, I've already done, that's to remind you about the Mary Hill Davis offering. The second, um, I want to encourage you to not lose heart as you are continuing to reach out and to pray for your one. Um, there's a principle that, um, that you may already know, but you need to be aware of, is when we awaken ourselves to spiritual things, the enemy awakens his work against us. So don't find it surprising if during the last few days, if you've been praying for your one or looking forward to reaching out to your one, that things may have become difficult. Just to give you an example, um, I've had a hard time just running into um, a guy that I run into regularly. It's been hit and miss, and um, he's usually kind of really hurried and doesn't have a lot of time. And so rather than become discouraged and think, well, you know, he's just blowing me off, I've chosen to make that an opportunity to pray more that God would give us intentional opportunities and give time. And I wanted you to do the same. 
So if you felt like, oh, I've just met roadblock and barrier, it feels like I'm just up against a brick wall, you're just praying for the Lord to break through those um, barriers, to tear away the distractions, to tear away the attacks of the enemy, and to give opportunity for his work to do its work, for him to open their eyes to the truth, and for you to continue to pray with compassion. So don't give up praying for your one and reaching out to your one. God is faithful. Um, the second thing I want to remind you about is our Wednesday activities. We started back last week, um, two weeks ago we started out, and we'll be looking at Zechariah chapter 9 in our Wednesday study, which starts at 11 o'clock. We welcome you to be a part of that. We begin with a time of singing um, out of the hymnals. We have time to pray at the end, and in between we study God's Word together. And then after we pray, we enjoy a meal. And so it's an opportunity to enjoy lunch and fellowship. The cost is $2.50 per person, and we invite you to be a part of that. And then also, just believing that God works through the prayers of His people, we have a commitment here at Cross Timber to pray, and we would love for you to join us on Wednesday evenings at 6.30 to pray. Um, We generally visit for a few minutes, we read from the Bible, and we pray. That's a simple format. Um, It repeats itself week after week, but we truly believe that God responds to the prayers of His people, and we would love for you to join us. We're going to read from Isaiah chapter 61 in just a moment, so you may want to turn your Bible there, but Michelle right now is going to share about Ken, her and Ken's upcoming trip to Tanzania. For those of you who don't know that are new, <clears throat> Ken and I have been going on this trip since 2010. It's the Southwest Metroplex Baptist Association. It's their partnership trip with Tanzania. We have a partnership with a, another association in Tanzania, and Scott Whitson and Alias Akash Bagani, I think <laughs> you say his last name, um, our, our coordinators, so pray for them. Um, Leslie is not going on this trip this year, which Scott and Leslie are also members of our church, if you don't know. Um, but we don't see them very much because he's preaching elsewhere on Sundays. But um, they are coordinating our trip, and so pray for them as they make final preparations. There is a prayer guide out front for those of you who would like to pray for us while we are gone. But um, even though I didn't really put it on here, start praying now. Um, There's 17 members. Um, It's an interesting group of people uh, from all over the place. And essentially we go, and uh, this trip is a little shorter than trips we've done in the past. It's a one-week ministry time um, that we minister to pastors and their wives. This is particularly geared for the Bible school Um, that's going on in Muleba that we actually helped start but there are also there's 50 or 60 other pastors who've been invited so who knows who will be there Um, and there will always be other leaders from the church deacons there'll be wives you know Sunday school teachers you know we just never know exactly who will show up but with that said our sow and grow group headed up by Gwenna who I don't see today And the WMU ladies have made hygiene kits for us to hand out for the pastor's wives, which is kind of cool. Sometimes we have stuff to take. Sometimes we don't. Um, But the highlight of this trip and what I want to point out to is that we are actually going to be able to attend the first graduation of this Bible school. And it will be on Saturday. I forget what the day is. um, October 1st. And... 
which for y'all, I don't know, be during the night on the 30th of August or whatever. That'll actually be happening. But that is the Bible school that Cross Timber gave, if I'm correct, $10,000 to help start um, in honor of our first pastor, Boyd Pierce. So pray for our preparations this week as we finish preparing. Because Leslie is not going, I have a lot of responsibility that I'm, I'm usually happy to be the standby, backup, whatever. <laughs> But uh, I have more responsibility than I've had before, and which is fine. You know, man makes his plans, and God directs our steps. I didn't really think at the beginning of this year I was going to even be able to go because of the things going on in my family. But God has a way of working things out miraculously. And, in fact, just so you know, my silly husband who went to work and did a load and then couldn't get another load and whatever ended up, ministering this week at the veterans reunion i'm super jealous but (laughs) he's on his way back from that and um i know he's blessed but pray for him because i know he's also tired because it's very exhausting so anyway thank y'all so much for letting me share thank you michelle so i encourage you to pick up one of those prayer guides there on the table as you you exit um Full color will also give you a day-by-day um, blow of what's going on, so you can follow their their itinerary as well as pray for them. And um, they do um, covet your prayers. It's one of the ways that we we partner with those in missions. Not only do we we give, we also pray for those that go, and we also look for opportunities that we can go um, as well. Our scripture reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 61. Um, there are. Eleven verses there that we'll read together before the deacons come and and lead us in prayer and we receive our our offering. The prophet writes these words. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, There shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. 
I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for He has clothed me with the, with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as the garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Gentlemen, when you come, we receive our offering. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we've come to this place as your body this morning to to worship you, to acknowledge that you are our Savior, that you are our Lord, and that we are your hands and your feet, and we are your servants. With all of our heart, we want to seek you, Lord, and we need your help. We pray that you would break down strongholds, anything that would interfere with us being able to hear your voice, Lord, to be able to to do your will in our own lives, in the life of this church. pray that you would speak to us through your word, through music, and right now we want to give back to you a portion of what you've blessed us with, with joy in our hearts, and we pray that you would use it for your kingdom, as we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. Is the... Oh, my goodness, I've left it. <laughs> Some of you know uh, this thing in my lap I'm fairly new in, so hang on. But then also I want to say how God, uh, how great our God really is. I, he's blessed me, and I write songs, and you all know that. But this song uh, I started working on a couple of months ago, quite honestly. And what's amazing about it is uh, it goes and right into what... Uh, Rusty's sermon series is about. First, it tells us what God and what Jesus did for us. And then it says and goes into what he expects from us and what our duties and responsibilities as Christians and believers in Jesus should be doing. And then it finishes with the rewards that he's going to give us. So hang on with me and we'll see what happens. Crucified for me, 
rose from the tomb to set me free. And now you walk with me. You even talk to me. What a joy to my soul. You set me free. what you say through your word every day and I try to live my life and follow in your way oh Jesus my sweet Jesus what a great day it will be when I see you face to face all my sins will be erased and all my thoughts have been replaced with your love oh, with your Well, I try to do my best to share you with the rest. And I pray somehow they see you in me. And then we'll gather at the cross, knowing our sins have been lost. We'll thank God again we've been set free. Oh, Jesus, my sweet Jesus, what a great day. me through each and every day. Let the world know, Lord, that you are the only way, the only way.
Would you stand and sing with us this morning? Everybody has trials and temptations. Ooh, ooh. Everybody knows heartbreak, isolation.
memories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and he tells me that you're pleased and that I'm never
you. You may be seated. have your your Bible there in front of you or your phone, turn over to Luke chapter 4. We'll start reading there in just a a few moments, starting in verse number number 16. We just continue a little series looking at specifically the topic of revival and how God wants to, to bring revival in the hearts of His people and the congregations that gather together for the purpose of carrying out His mission to be reunited with a, a passion um, for the lost, a desire to, to reach out and to serve in the love, a, a fresh um, filling and anointing with the Holy Spirit to carry out the work that he has called us to, to do. But before we read, we're going to go back a little bit in history, not all the way back to the first century when Jesus was alive, but back to the early 1900s. In fact, to 1904, the little country of Wales, which is on the eastern side of England, there on the island, where God began a great work of revival in this small nation that started in 1904, lasted into 1905, and over 150,000 men, women, and children were saved. And some of the amazing results that happened during this time is that, that bars were closed, dance halls were closed, drunkenness faded from the scene, courts and jails were deserted, literally. Police had so little work to do that they were able to join in these extended revival meetings. Churches were packed, people were standing on the outsides, public prayer gatherings were commonplace, families met each night in their homes. And had devotions, and that increased over time from home to home. And one of the major events in the early stages of this revival in Wales happened in September of 1904 in this little community of Blairneck. And a minister named Seth Joshua finished preaching his sermon and prayed a very simple prayer O Lord, bend us. In the midst of that gathering, which is only about 20 people, a very small number, there was a man named Evan Roberts. He was a miner. He was very simple, but he loved the Lord. And he professed after that prayer was made, that's what I need. And he prayed to God right there in that meeting, oh Lord, bend me. And in God's grace, because God always works gracefully with those that come before him humbly, God did the bending in Evans Roberts' life, and his life was forever changed. I want you to listen to the words of his testimony as he remembers back to that experience in 1904. He said, I felt ablaze with a desire to go through the length and breadth of Wales to tell of the Savior. And had it been possible, I was willing to pay God for doing so. Do you want that? This morning, do you want God to bend your will and your plans according to his? Do you want to to say that you're on fire for Jesus where you're willing to just give up and abandon everything? 
Do you, do you want revival? Or are you just satisfied praying for God to bring it somewhere else? And I want to propose a simple sentence to you this morning. Revival returns Christians to the mission of Jesus. Now, there's a lot of talk about what revival is and what revival isn't, but we could very simply say that it just simply gets Christians back on track. It bends us back, if you want to use that word, to God's plan and God's purpose for our life. And in doing so this morning, we're going to look at a story about Jesus going back home to his home church or synagogue there in Nazareth. And he proclaims his mission that he was the promised one, the Messiah, come to bring the good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for captives, to give sight to the blind and freedom to the oppressed, and to say that now was the time of the Lord's favor. And the reason we look at this is because Jesus' mission still goes on today, that Christians are his disciples called and set apart to minister in his power to meet spiritual and physical needs. And we're looking at this story this morning because we are in need of God to bring revival. So let's read these verses. There's not very many of them. And then we'll, we'll pause to pray and, and look at them together and see how God might use them in our lives to help prepare our hearts to experience revival. Verse 16 simply says this, And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As it was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. We pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the worship that we have enjoyed. We thank you for those that you have gifted with the talents to, to lead us with instrument and voice. We're thankful for songs that are written to bring our hearts in line with yours, to enter us into your presence and to remind us of your great love. We thank you for the truth of your word that we have to read and to study, and we thank you that you apply it to our lives by the power of your spirit, and we ask you to do that this morning that you would teach us and help us to learn. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So revival returns Christians to the mission of Jesus. And so as we look this morning at the story of Jesus at the synagogue in Nazareth, we're going to look at what Jesus did, what he said, what, what it meant in that day, and what it means for you and I today. There's a very simple outline for you to follow, as, as always in the the bulletin, and the first thing that we'll look at is the mission of Jesus. Jesus was sent to earth by God on a mission, and on this particular day, he went to the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. 
Now, we know it was his regular practice to do so because it says there, Luke wrote, as was his custom. Jesus was faithful to keep up his worship on the Sabbath. Not in a temple, but in a synagogue, those places of learning that were were scattered about the countryside wherever at least ten Jewish males were able to meet. And the synagogue was the regular place of gathering or worship in the Jewish life of the first century. And a typical synagogue service would look like this. They would begin by reciting together the Shema from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel. They would have a time of prayers, usually scripted prayers, read prayers, prayers that people would know. There would be a time of praying. They would read from the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. They would also have a reading from the prophets, like Isaiah the prophet. And then there would be a time of teaching. And during that time, there was a a rule called the freedom of the synagogue that any person that was deemed suitable by the ruler of the synagogue could deliver a sermon. So there wasn't set a preacher that would preach from week to week, but individuals would speak as they were recognized by the ruler of the synagogue, and they would conclude their time with a benediction, a blessing of peace. And so Jesus finds himself in the town of Nazareth, in the synagogue that he grew up in, with his followers on this day. And we find out that Jesus was there and he was given the opportunity to read. We find that he stands up and he reads and he takes a scroll, not just any scroll, and I brought a scroll and this is not an ancient scroll. In fact, this was um, a much more modern scroll that was masterfully crafted by, um, by Jim Sloan for a Sunday school class. But he took a scroll, and it says that he unrolled it because scrolls were written on, on parchment or written on you know, animal skins, and they were rolled together. And he unrolled it. He found his place. Likely it was a, a pre-chosen section of the Scripture chosen by the ruler of the synagogue, and he read out loud. Now, I would continue to hold this while I read, but I have to admit there are some drawings and some color pages on the other side that are a little bit distracting. In fact, I'll show you briefly. It's a great, they're so great, and they're so cool, and they're so well made, but I'll just have to put this down and play with it um, later. And so he reads out loud from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, specifically from the 61st chapter of the book of Isaiah, which we read in full earlier. And he read the first verse and the second part of the first verse. Now the difference is, more than likely, he probably, he may have been reading, or the quotation that we have here is from the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the original Hebrew. So if you flip back and forth, if you're looking at your Bible, if you flip back and forth between Luke and Isaiah 61, you may find the words are just a little bit different. The same Hebrew words, the translation is just a little bit different in Greek. So don't get hung up there. But he reads these words that in Isaiah's day would have been an incredible comfort to those that were in exile. That all was not lost. There was hope for the future. God would send a deliverer who would proclaim good news that would mean healing and freedom and restoration. That this Messiah that was promised would come. He was God's 
chosen servant. He would come in the power of the Holy Spirit to not only be a prophet to deliver God's message, but he would be God's Messiah, the deliverer who would free God's people. And the words he read are there in verses 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Wonderful words about this divinely commissioned servant sent from God to establish God's kingdom on earth. Listen to those words. Good news to the poor. Glad tidings. Liberty for captives. Sight for the blind. Freedom for the oppressed. And a declaration of the year of the Lord's favor. Just brings hope of future into your heart. That sin and evil will one day be conquered. Those people on the outside, those marginalized, those forgotten, those that are considered down and out would not be forgotten in the eyes of their Creator. That things would not always be the same. That an age of grace and freedom was coming. And so Jesus reads those words. He rolls back up the scroll. He hands it to the attendant and he sits down. Now, why does it tell us that he sat down? It's important. I mean, obviously, you know, people stand and sit, but in this setting, a teacher in the synagogue would read Scripture standing, but they would sit when they taught. And so at that moment, Jesus reads, sits down, and every eye in the synagogue is on Jesus, the son of Joseph, the carpenter. And every ear was tuned in, waiting to see what he would say. And Jesus delivers a very short, brief sermon. In fact, in the translation I'm reading from, it's only nine words. It would take probably less than five seconds to deliver. And before you get too excited, um, I, I don't have any five-second um, sermons for you as of yet. But every one of those words was packed with power. And what exactly did he say? Look at verse 21. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He took Isaiah 61 and he applied it to himself. Or as one writer wrote, he read himself into the mission of the Messiah. What does that mean? That means is if you read verses 18 and 19 and everywhere it says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, everywhere you say me, Jesus was declaring to all that were there to hear, I am I am the one. I am the one, Jesus said, that fulfills the Old Testament prophecy. Jesus is the anointed one. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the time of grace and truth. So he identifies the Messiah as himself, and he says the time that this is going to start is now. Centuries of waiting and anticipation were over. God's promise had been kept. The Messiah had come, and He would come and bring a glorious change. The second thing, you find it there in verse 21, is the second idea is that it's the year of the Lord's favor. Favor or, or blessing. It's verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I'm sorry. 
Now, what's he referring to? The year of the Lord's favor. Most likely, Jesus is referring back to the Jewish year of Jubilee. You can read about it in Leviticus chapter 25. At the end of seven periods of seven years, which if you can still multiply, that's 49 years, that at the end of those 49 years, the 50th year or every 50th year was set apart as a year of Jubilee that was announced by the blast of a ram's horn with a time when debts were forgiven, captives and prisoners were set free, slaves were released. The year, the land was granted a year of rest from planting and family land that may have been sold out of necessity, out of need for money, was returned to the original owners. It was a time set apart by the Lord where both the land and the people were able to rest. And the people could rejoice and celebrate. A wonderful picture of the freedom and salvation that God would one day bring through the Lord Jesus. Another way you could say what that say about what that means is that Jesus himself came to be our jubilee. He came to declare freedom. If you think about John 8:36, if the son has set you free, you will be free indeed. He came to bring rest. Matthew 11:28, come to me all who are labor all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. I don't think there's anyone here today that couldn't say, I'm caught up on my rest and I've experienced all the freedom I need, right? Are we in need of more? I know I am. More freedom, more rest in the Lord. The one who said, I come to seek and save that which is lost came to bring freedom and came to bring rest. And when he came, as Isaiah wrote, he came with an anointed power. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. Now if you read through Luke, you find that Luke has a affinity for mentioning the work of the Holy Spirit. It continues on into the book of Acts. And we find there in chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus full of the Spirit. And also in verse 1, led by the Spirit. And then in verse 14, He ministers in the power of the Spirit. And when you get to the book of Acts, we see the power, power of the Spirit poured out on those disciples that were there, filled with the Spirit. They go and they continue on in the ministry of Jesus. That's important. We'll come back to it in a minute. So his ministry was anointed by the Spirit. But he also ministered with compassion, heartfelt compassion. We can see that from the people that he ministers to, that he came to meet physical needs and spiritual needs. Who does he mention? The poor. Both those that are poor in spirit and those that are lacking in their bank account. Each who would have a desperate need for God. Those who were held captive. Bound up in chains. Now we can think about shackles of iron, but we can also think about the chains of abuse the chains of substances, the chains of addiction, the chains of slavery, the chains of 
trafficking and other evils, as well as those chains that bind those that have yet to been set free by Jesus, those chains of sin and struggles. He came to give sight to the blind. Now we know that in Jesus' name, the blind were able to see, the deaf were able to hear, the lame were able to walk, and the dead were raised to life. But also the greater miracle than all of those is that Jesus opens the eyes of those who are spiritually blind. That's what you're dealing with if you're praying for your one that's apart from Jesus is spiritual blindness. And you're asking God, heal them of spiritual blindness. Open their eyes to see the reality without you and the possibility with you. Oh, that they may choose to walk with you. He opens blind eyes, but he also also ministers to those who are oppressed. People who were broken in spirit by oppressive circumstances. Satan and all his forces are stacked up and set against humanity. Anything they can do to disrupt God's plan, to discourage God's people, to distract us from our mission, anything possible to destroy us, they are all about that. That's what they live to do. They also live to to frustrate and confuse and blind those apart from Jesus to keep them in bondage. And Jesus came to free people from the crushing power of evil. And all the while he proclaimed grace-filled truth of a joyful freedom. We read about, if you read on in the story, when Jesus finished reading and speaking those words that were very brief, that everybody in the synagogue marveled at his gracious words. Now, I don't think they were talking about, oh, Jesus, he was so eloquent when he read. No, I think they were recognizing the one that John recognized, if you read in John chapter 1, the one full of grace and truth, speaking words of grace and truth. In fact, every action, every word that Jesus ever did was full of both grace and truth. And he is the one who is the living word. And to any who did receive him, not only is there eternal life, but there is freedom, release, comfort, healing, hope, and joy. Oh, do you need that today? Do you need more of that? And the joy of this year of Jubilee, God came to make alive, not in a community, but in human hearts. A wonderful, I I would call him a theologian, songwriter, Michael Card, who is able in few words to express great truth, often with um, wonderful melody wrote a song, it's called the Jubilee, and I want you to just listen to these words. The word provided for a time for the slaves to be set free, for the debts to all be canceled so his chosen ones could see. His deep desire was for forgiveness. He longed to see their liberty, and his yearning was embodied in the year of Jubilee. Jubilee, Jubilee, Jesus is that Jubilee, debts forgiven, Slave set free. Jesus is our jubilee. At the Lord's appointed time, his deep desire became a man. The heart of all true jubilation and with joy we understand. In his voice we hear a trumpet sound that tells us we are free. He is the incarnation of the year of jubilee. 
You see, Jesus came to announce the year of the Lord's favor, which meant the coming of His kingdom in human hearts. That the kingdom of God would be built on earth from heart to heart, person to person, child to adult, male to female, Jew and Greek. And when Jesus died on the cross, He paid the price for our sin. That's why we call Him our Redeemer. And everyone who calls on His name receives that freedom and that salvation. It's interesting to note that if you look into the the year of Jubilee, that that Jubilee year is inaugurated before the ram's horn by the Day of Atonement. That there was a death that occurred, a covering for sin, a recognition of sin before they would enter into that year of Jubilee. If you think about that from your perspective today, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He paid the debt that you could not pay. We no longer make sacrifices in a temple because Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice. And so by our faith in Him, we enter into His freedom, His year of jubilee because of what He had done. A wonderful thing to think about that we have this freedom this year of the lord's favor because of what jesus did for us now if you're sharp and you have been looking between the two passages between luke and isaiah 61 you'll notice something jesus stops reading in the middle of a verse he stops reading in the middle of verse two to proclaim the year of the lord's favor now, if you look in Isaiah 61, the very next phrase says to proclaim the is not to proclaim is to proclaim the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. So he leaves off there. Right between the year of the Lord's favor, there's a comma and the day of vengeance of our God. See, now we recognize and we know that Jesus came. He died for our sin. He ascended to heaven, but He is coming back and there will be a day of victory and judgment. For those that are apart from Jesus, it's eternal death. For those that are in Jesus, it's eternal life or salvation. And at that time, Jesus will come, establish His kingdom in all its fullness. There will be a new heaven and a new earth coming down. But until then... As we live in this year of the Lord's favor, we have a job to do. And that brings us to the third point, ministry in Jesus' name. It's wonderful if you read the book of Luke and the book of Acts together because Luke tells us about the inauguration of the ministry of Jesus. Acts is the continuation of the ministry of Jesus through the lives of the apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit. And today, in the power of his spirit we are called as his disciples to continue on in that ministry what we've been commissioned and empowered to do to to boldly share the the gospel to love and serve others without exception and to display the spirit's power in our lives the power of transformation the power that god still works through prayer to do miracles and provide healing and revival is the mechanism 
that God uses to return Christians to the ministry of Jesus. It gets our attention. It bends us back in the right direction. Roy Hessian, who wrote a book called The Calvary Road, said this about revival. Revival is the life of the Lord Jesus poured into human hearts. I've read a lot of definitions, some longer, about revival, but I've come to settle on this simple one as one of my most favorites. The life of Jesus poured into human hearts. That in the life that we live in, as we become more and more filled with ourselves, our our sinfulness and our selfishness, that we come to the end of our rope, we're undone. We can't do anything else. We're frustrated, we're frazzled, we're frail. And God, in His wondrous grace, shows up and introduces Himself to us afresh and anew. And we are newly captivated by the love of Jesus. We're just undone. You know, you're, 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 you're laid bare before Him. You're, you're to the point of tears. Your heart is filled with both joy and sorrow at the same time. And as we empty ourselves of ourselves, as we confess our sin, He fills us with the presence of His Spirit. And that is the coming of revival. And when that happens, people begin to minister in the name of Jesus and by His power. No more doing things ourselves. No more getting by, struggling to get along. No more pretending. No more faking it till you make it, but actually trusting in the power of God that you are living a life that is Spirit-anointed. You have the power of the Spirit in your life. You're being led by the Spirit. You're trusting in Him to be your guide. You're working in the power of the Spirit. And the things that you see happening are not done by men, but they are fulfilled by the Spirit. And you're operating in power from above. And to me, that's what the year of the Lord's favor is. We're in this time now. The time between Jesus' ascension and His return is the day of salvation. That Jesus is presently ruling and reigning over all things. That there is salvation in His name. That there is service to be done for His kingdom. But one day, He's coming back to finalize everything. All things made new. Evil, sin, pain, suffering, vanquished forever. Satan put away and God's people taken home. And during that time, our responsibility is not to just get excited, Jesus is coming back, let's just pull away from society and hang out with a bunch of Christians and sing happy songs. No, it's to be involved in His mission, to bring along as many people as we can. And that means heartfelt compassion, For the poor, those in bondage, those who are spiritually blind and oppressed, it's it's continuing to do what you may already be doing, to share the good news that brings salvation and to share His love by meeting physical needs. The two go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. It's sharing that good news of the kingdom, that freedom is 
possible that it's truth and grace mixed together. That God is holy, but God is love, and He offers life from death and freedom and release from captivity. That there is a joyful freedom available. He comes to bring comfort and healing, hope and joy. As I said from the start, revival returns Christians to the ministry, the mission of Jesus. I want to revisit Evan Roberts for just a moment. The man who was given credit for the Welsh revival, but the man, if you read any of his writings, would do everything possible to tell you that he was only a tool that God used. In fact, oftentimes in revival meetings, thousands of people would gather together to hear the great Evan Roberts speak. Now, Evan Roberts would always pray and trust in God to lead him by the power of his spirit. And there were many times that thousands of people would gather together to hear Evan Roberts. And Evan Roberts would sense the leading of the Lord telling him, no, it's not for you to speak because the people came to hear me. And they should come to hear me. They, couldn't, they shouldn't come to just hear Evan Roberts. And often someone else would speak, or there would be no preaching at all, but just singing and prayer. And listen to what Evan Roberts wrote. I believe this, the world is upon the threshold of a great religious revival. Remember, this is 1905. And I pray that I may be allowed to help bring this about. I urge all those that profess Christ to ask Him today upon their knees if he has not some work for them to do now. He will lead them all as he has led us. He will make them pillars of smoke by day and pillars of fire by night to guide all men to him. And he concluded his remarks with, Bend the church and save the world. Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord, this morning I just ask that you would bend me, bend our church, bend your people to use us for your glory, to minister in your name, full of your power. You would break us free from sin and from ourselves. That you would bend us toward your will and your ways. You would prepare us as your people for your mission. You would set us on fire with your power and your passion. Oh Lord, we do pray that you would revive us. Revive us for your mission. Revive us to do your ministry. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting, you know, we can sing about revival, we can read about revival, we can preach about revival. But the truth of the matter is, God starts revival in human hearts, one person at a time as we yield ourselves to His will. And maybe this morning it needs to be just as, as simple as this, that if you're ready and you're bendable, say, God, bend me. 
If you're feeling pretty rigid and not very bendable, say, God, I don't feel that way. I don't feel bendable. I, I like where I'm at. I like being comfortable. I like what I'm doing. Just be honest with him. He knows anyway. Say, God, soften me and begin to bend me. And trust him to do so. I don't know about you, but I'd much rather be willing and gently bent than to be broken um, in a hard way. But God uses both of those things to get us into the right place. And then as you seek him and as you say, God, bend me, just say, God, what is it you want me to do? Responding and following the Lord is just many times just simple obedience. God, what's step one? He's not calling most of us to launch out on a global mission and have a a step-by-step game plan for the next five years. Most of us, it's just the next step. And just say, God, what do you have next for me? And that one step of obedience will lead to another step, another call to obedience. And gently, over time, that bending will occur. And you'll find yourself being a, from being askew to being more and more in line. You know, through moisture and gentle pressure, even, you know, the, some of the most crooked boards can be straightened over time. And my prayer this morning that God would take this broken board and the broken bended boards that are out there and begin to mold us and shape us in his presence for his purpose. Or maybe some other burden on your heart. You may need to to come to the front and pray. You may need to ask someone to pray for you. Or maybe today, it's just the day where you thought, today is the day of salvation and today is the day for me. It's just making sense to me that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and I'm turning myself over to Jesus and trusting in Him. And that would be a great thing to celebrate with you today. Or maybe God's moving in your heart to call you to, to plant roots and be a part of this fellowship. And if that's it, then you can come forward and we'll deal with that as well. But I invite you now to stand. Listen to God as He speaks and respond to Him as you hear His voice.
for just a moment. Bob, I would bring it all the way to you, but I don't think I have enough cord. We can get you another one. Oh, Michelle's may reach. There you go. I think we can get to you. <laughs> can you hear me? Oh, now. I better believe it. I'm not helpless. I just need a lot of help. Uh, this thing you see on me, you may have wondered what it is called a life vest. Uh, you don't see any vest. It's hidden. Um, it's because I have atrial fibrillation and have had for quite a while, but it just got bad in a hurry. So atrial fibrillation can lead to um, yeah, a heart attack. But there's another thing in there. I, I'm, I'm, I, I forget from one moment to the next what's going on. Uh, anyway, this is to help keep me from having a heart attack uh, in the event that it should happen. Uh, now, that's not what I came to say. I thought I'd just let you know what's going on. Um, you have been gracious to me, offering prayers in my behalf. I appreciate that, and I want you to know I appreciate that. Um, you have some some have visited me in the hospital. Um, you are my family. I appreciate that. You act like you're my family. I appreciate that. The Lord bless you for your attentive, your ten attention <laughs> to my uh, needs. And uh, Lord bless you. Amen. Lord bless you. Bob, thanks for those gracious words. If you've ever experienced a visit from Bob when you've been in a hospital type situation, Bob mastered long ago the art of knowing how to enter and how to leave. Just always coming in and would stay the right amount of time and leave. Um, and so when I was visiting him the other day, I told him, I'm horrible at this, Bob. You know, I'm not good at this, but I learned from you how to just, because I would always find myself getting there and feel like, okay, I got to stay like forever. I can't leave because they might think I'm, you know, I don't care or something like that. But Bob, Bob taught me that. And, um, and so when I visited Bob, I, I tried not to stay too long. Um, and so I hope I did okay. But Bob, we, we, do, we do love you, and we appreciate your, um, your faithfulness and your testimony and, um, and your kind words um, we receive with love. We join in standing. It's been a great day to be in the house of the Lord. It's a great day to worship together. Our worship team is ready They've got picks on strings and fingers ready to roll and hands on keys. And so they're going to sing. And when they start 
to music, um, you're free to go. Lord bless you. Thank you.